You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Boy, I uh, I can't believe this, Jake. Luke just sent this to me. He goes, it's that time of year again to make some money for your daughter's college fund. Uh, preach. Uh, hammer the over, he says. I'm shocked that it is this low, honestly, and I would agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, the Pacers over-under on wins for this season. Okay, I'm going to guess that the over-under for Pacers on wins this year should be at, what was it a year ago? 30, right? So, no, no, no. Last year, my bet was 30. The over-under, I think, was like 23, right? Or two, it was like 23 and a half or 24 and a half. I chose to do the alternate odds. I bumped that up to at least 30 wins. Um, they I'm gonna won say, 35. I'm going to say that this year their over-under is at 30, somewhere between 38 and 42. Mark, care to guess? 34 and a half. Mark Dykton's a gambler. Uh, Over-under is 35 and a half. Yeah, I would take that. We gotta hammer that over again, don't we? You you would think. Yeah. Now, Tyrese Halliburton last year played 56 games. See, that's there. Now you're getting into the... You know, he missed... 26 games. You know, how much of that was he really, really out? Would he have played in more? I, I mean, the Pacers the Pacers pretty much tanked the last month of the year. Well, I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. Uh, the Pacers might have not publicly wanted to state that, but they did. So, assuming that they don't do that, they won 35 last year. I think 42 is very real. Should I do the alternate and go 40? I don't know. I don't know if I'm that risky just yet. I've got a few months to... to uh, Simmer on so wait, so if you put twenty dollars down for them to win forty to go over forty, well now we're getting into alternate lines. Uh, so this is mean. this is just even money on the um, over under thirty five and a half. Let me see if I can find that for you. You what, said you want to bump it up to forty. What, what if you went forty five? We got super aggressive and you said over under of forty five. Are we there yet with win total? I'm a little surprised that we're already at win totals because I mean, like, don't we still have a Damian Lillard thing to figure out? Yeah, but he's not going to affect the Pacers, right? Unless he goes to and well, he's I going mean, to Miami, probably. You know, is there a trickle down effect of that? Of you know how the Eastern Conference is viewed or the Pacers roster? I, I cannot find that right now. I, I have a feeling that will be upcoming. By the way, the Fever nine and a half point underdog today to the Liberty. <laughs> now let me tell you something. If you're taking that action, hell, you got it. One eight hundred nine with it. Is the number just so is today you know. one of those days where all the kids get in the building there? A noon tip? Do they do that in the summer? They should. That'd be awesome. The summer camps are going on, I'm sure. That's one of the activities. Yeah, imagine the Liberty trying to shoot free throws with a bunch of screaming kids. Did you guys go to summer camp? Mark, did you go to summer camp when you were a kid? I did, yeah. What camp? Oh, geez, I don't know. It must have been a good camp. <laughs> I, might, I just remember my mom would drop us off at like some yeah building with a park and like, hey, go, go find the person. <laughs> day, day camp or overnight camp? Day camp. Okay. Kevin? Yeah, I was more of a day camper. Um, yeah, I think I've talked about it before. I absolutely love my time at Butler basketball camp. That was literally my favorite thing every summer. I was like that with Taylor basketball camp when I was really little. I could have sworn Brad Stevens ran the Butler camp one year I was there. Would, would that have matched? Would he have been like in the director of basketball oh, sure. operations yeah, yeah. when I was 11? 94. What, what year did he leave Lily? Oh, you were born in 89, so 2000? Yeah, I was going to say turn of the century. Yeah, I think so. Because I remember covering Butler. They list 01 as his first year as a Butler assistant. Yeah, I think it's entirely possible. Um, But yeah, summer of 2000, yeah. I have a buddy right now whose children go to a camp in New York State. Whoa. Upstate New York, and it's a seven-week overnight camp. What? Are you Whoa. It's the whole, Tell us more. Not. It's fifteen grand per kid. Okay. What are they? Tell us more. So my buddy Steinberg is a doctor. He lives in Florida. Is that his first name? Last, okay. Doctor Steinberg. Um, his first name. Yeah. I, here's what's weird. So Dave Steinberg, my buddy, we grew up together. For whatever reason, I don't even know how it came to be. When Beavis and Butthead was a thing, we each talked to each other on the phone in Butthead's voice. 
Oh my God! Thank nope. the Lord I wasn't on the phone for that. <laughs> no, no Beavis, just Butthead. Well, he's that could be set for seven to ten. He's actually in my phone as Butthead. Okay, and now he's a doctor. You said he he's a doctor. He lives in Miami, and when we talk on the phone, we literally do the Butthead voice back and forth to each other the entire time. Do I you mean, even know who your kids are when they return like, after seven weeks? Like, well, so so Steinberg. Yeah, I've got a girlfriend. He, he, in order for his kids to, I mean, I'm assuming he could probably afford it, but in order for his kids to get the camp free tuition, Steinberg is the camp doctor for three weeks, three of the seven. So he goes out there? So he, he's currently in upstate New York, correct. And, and, like, and again, what is like, this camp? Like heavy outdoors, I Oh, assume? it's like canoeing and, you know, they've got a basketball division. And like he's really good friends with the basketball coach who was a guy that had played in Europe and, and his best – okay, how about this? To put it into a Sports Talk Indianapolis standpoint. So Dave is working this camp and one of the counselors at the camp is the guy that coaches the basketball aspect of the camp. So if you go to this camp each day, you know – you do basketball clinic for two hours, and then you canoe, and then you learn archery, you know, whatever. The guy that teaches basketball is a former professional player that played in Europe, had a cup of coffee in the NBA, and he is, like, best friends with and former roommates with Terrence Stansberry, who was the first oh, ever sure. pacer to partake in the slam dunk contest. Uh, but at any rate, like, I'm on the phone with Steinberg the other day, and we're talking, and as we're talking, I can hear this woman saying something to Steinberg, and then he says to me, eh, check it out, dude. Eh, I've got like a kid with a head injury, and like he had to leave, and so go. But so can you imagine what how that kid feels to know that that's what the doctor's talking like? <laughs> that's about to look at you neurologically? Yeah, that's uh, that would be disturbing. <laughs> yeah, uh, to say the least. Nothing against Dr. Steinberg credentials. I'm sure they're tremendous. But it, 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 it's funny you say that, Jake. I felt this way about those congressional hearings yesterday with the PJ Tour and live um they have access to like all of the e- <coughs> excuse me they have access to like all the emails and the WhatsApp text messages and just their text in general and they're pretty much airing all of this out there and it is wild to me to see how like really famous rich people communicate and you have like at one point, yeah, I can't get my WhatsApp call to work. Sorry about that. Are you having issues too? I'm like, they're just like one of us. That's right. They're they're doing a Zoom call and one person can't get their camera on and Literally. there's no audio and yeah. Yeah, Microsoft Teams isn't working today, so uh yeah, that's where uh, that's where they're at in that. Bailey wants to go. Anthony Richardson to score ten plus rushing touchdowns in the regular season. Are you in on that or I'd no? I'd go under. Yeah, ten rushing touchdowns. Yeah, that's, I mean, plus, that's, a, that's a lot. Plus six hundred, folks. That is tremendous odds. How many did Jalen Hurts have last year? That's what ten bucks to win sixty. We know we know where Jalen Hurts had one of oh them. Oh my god! <laughs> we we know where he had one. We got to get Rick Venturi on when we're up at camp. See if he can uh, reenact that. Jalen Hurts this past season in rushing touchdowns. Good Lord, I can't even read these stats. <laughs> well, is this like the MLB page when you were on the advanced stats page when you're supposed to be on <laughs> Who the regular? Who needs the BIP stats? I got them right here. The regular stats page. I, I mean, is your brain melting right no. now? No, this is all. It's all. Are we passing not finding yards. it? There's, on the on the NFL website, it's all passing yards. I don't see his rushing. I've got 13 rushing touchdowns for, for Jalen Hurts. Okay, well that's. Was he the leader for quarterbacks? I have to imagine was. Given Lamar's injury situation, I would think. Yeah. I, I, that's why it's plus 600. I mean, that's... And, that's still a lot. That's a lot also considering that we don't know, even though I think it's going to be early. I think it's going to be... It could be week one. We don't know how many games he's going to play. We don't know oh, when he gets... And this is another wild there. one. Everyone is sending me their, their degenerate bets right now, right? <laughs> because you're t- talking about Patri- Pacers future bets. They're like, I'll send it this How guy. about this one? I actually kind of like this one. This is from uh, Patrick, all right? The Colts to throw for one passing touchdown, at least, in every regular season game this year. Okay? So they need to have one throwing touchdown in every game this season. Those odds are plus 20,000. 
Patrick has wagered five bucks to win a thousand. Well, if it's part of my naivete here again, it, it, plus twenty thousand. Correct. Uh huh. So it's obviously a huge long shot that the Colts achieve this. But Patrick has put down five dollars to win one thousand dollars, and he needs the Colts to throw for at least one touchdown in you, every game. Where are you making these bets at? I, this is a a betting app, Mark, that you you are familiar with. I'll oh, just okay. leave it at that. Okay. Plus twenty thousand. Again, I'm going to sound like an idiot. Wouldn't that be plus two hundred? No, that'd be plus. No, twenty thousand is. Let me think. Plus twenty thousand would mean you bet. Uh, so you yeah, bet a hundred dollars. Five bucks at plus twenty thousand. Yeah, five bucks at plus twenty thousand is a thousand dollar payout. Okay, so so a hundred dollars would be a twenty thousand dollar payout. I see. Yeah. Okay. Do you? I mean, do we like it? I mean, for five bucks, what, you know, that's that's like going in and buying a now, bag Jack- of chips and a coke at the grocery store. Sure. Jacksonville, you know, twenty to three in the season opener against the Colts, and <laughs> well, it was fun while it lasted, Rick Carlisle, right? <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, You're right. I mean, now that you think about it, there are games where, you know, a, a 12 to 9 game or. Well, how thing, about if you score 10 points in a game and your one touchdown is well, a rushing touchdown? What if you go into the final game of the year, and I, I don't have their schedule in front of me, but if they go into the final game of the year and it's in snow covered Buffalo, what do you do then? You know what I mean? Things like that. I mean, there are those those factors come into play for sure. Yeah, I know. I said this when the schedule came out in May. I mean, you look at the Colts' schedule. I think the over/under is around. Has there seven ever and been a half. season where the Colts have done that? Oh, I'd venture to guess one of the Peyton years, right? Oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, the year he threw forty-nine for yeah. sure, right? Now, if you say it like that, well, yeah, that one time when Peyton threw forty-nine touchdowns, they did exactly. it, and it's like, uh, well, that's why it's five dollars to win one thousand. But you talk about some rooting interest each week. I would have you there. Now, granted, maybe a large section of our audience probably doesn't need necessarily that rooting interest. But again, that cold schedule, to me, I think it's one of the least daunting I've seen entering a season in quite some time. We'll talk a little baseball coming up in about 10 minutes. Will Carroll joins us to preview the second half of the season. It is a sunny and it is a humid start to this Wednesday morning here in Indy. Kevin and Corey, 93.5, The Fan. Possession into the end zone for us. That still is pretty crazy to me, Jake. As Major League Baseball gets underway coming up on Friday, ESPN had this. You have five of the six divisions where the first place team has a two-game lead or smaller heading into the second half. That is the most divisions with that small of a lead over the second place team at the All-Star break since Major League Baseball went to six divisions in 94. So any one specific thing above something else that you would attribute that to is it because i guess the follow-up question would be like are the have the games been closer this year i don't know i I think part of it may be the way pitching is utilized now there are bail on your starter like yeah like pitching is more spread out like pitching talent is more is spread more thin does that make sense that's will carroll this Will Carroll joins us now again at the Injury Expert on Twitter. Will, any explanation for why we have such competitive divisional races heading into the second half of the year, more so than other years? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, you know, basically, I, I think Jake was on the right track. Is we're seeing fewer and fewer uh, pitching dominant teams, largely because of injury, uh, but secondarily, we're seeing a lot of mediocrity. You know, there is no great team out there that's just running away with things. There's no team that's dominant. Um, there, there are some very good teams, but mostly you could you could basically say every team's at 500 and throw a blanket over most of them. You know, we've got whole divisions under 500. Uh, we've got whole divisions over 500, but not by much. I think what we're seeing is the competitive balance that everybody says Major League Baseball doesn't have. You know, Will, I look at some teams like Kansas City, okay? Mm-hmm. And I know it's been a few years, but Kansas City had bright young stars. You know, you saw them break through and win a World Series. I, I assume at that point, was it that Kansas City, just from a financial structure, didn't have the money to, to, to retain the young talent that they had when they won the World Series? Or did they basically just undergo like a, you know what? 
we're not going to be able to get these guys. So let's just let's just tear down and rebuild and do it all over again. I mean, how does a team go that quickly from penthouse back to outhouse? Well, I mean, we've seen the opposite with the Reds and the Pirates this year. So, you know, if you look back, that was really a fluke team. They weren't that good before. They weren't that good after. They were really well managed. They had an absolutely dominant bullpen, and bullpens have a lot of turnover. I mean, think about the players that led that team. Uh, Eric Hosmer. Uh, Mike Moustakis. These aren't superstars. They're, you know, they're not far out of the game. I mean, uh, Hosmer was just let go last month. It was just everything went right for the Royals. You know, I don't think losing Eric Hosmer it tore down that team. Um, you know, Lorenzo came. They just didn't have a ton of stars. The one guy who's held over is Salvador Perez, and he's been good the whole time. The, the fact is, Kansas City's just been mismanaged, and we'll have to see whether ownerships trying to get rid of Royal or Kauffman stadium uh, and move downtown is going to throw everything off. Or, you know, here's the other thing that, that just fascinates me is that Patrick Mahomes owns 10% of that team. <laughs> you know, on the day when quarterback comes out on Netflix, uh, Mahomes has been very quiet about that. I'm curious if he's always going to be like that um, or, or whether he'll get involved, but uh, Kansas city is just kind of an irrelevant team right now. And that's sad. It is because it's a great, I mean, great stadium, pretty good fan base. You know, I've always kind of liked them. But let's go to, as you had mentioned, kind of their National League equivalent from an organizational standpoint or market size, and that is the Reds. I have always felt, Will, that oftentimes teams that have breakthrough years or, or dream seasons, it's because three or four utility-type players all have career years simultaneously. 260 batters become 285 batters all at the same time, and and things just click, right? And then everything comes back down to earth. This Cincinnati team, they have arrived early. Is that because players that are not going to be able to sustain it are having dream seasons, or because young players that this was expected out of have all arrived at the same time? Um, I don't know that we can expect what we've seen from guys like Abbott and McLean and Ellie Dela Cruz, who really needs a good nickname. Um, you know, I, I just don't know. I can take a look at Ellie Dela Cruz and, and know that we had ridiculous expectations for him. But did I expect this? No, I don't think anybody did. I think what we have to look at is two things here. The first is that Nick Crawl is a genius. I mean, he's been part of this team for, for a number of years. Ownership is hugely problematic. I mean, it was just last year that the Castellinis were like, where else are you going to go? Uh, they're not spending money. We'll see whether they get involved in the trade market. They need at least one pitcher, uh, if not two. So we'll have to see. But you know, good young players being allowed to play uh, is pretty good. They don't have anybody that's you know super over their head. At this stage, and there's still a lot of problems. Um, you know, this is a team that should be good for a long time. And this is the one where I stare really, really hard at the ownership and say, this one's on you. Uh, you know, you might have the, the cheapest ownership in baseball, and you have a chance right now to win a World Series. You know, you would know this, Will. Will Carroll's our guest, the injury expert. He's on the Payless Sickers Hotline. I wanted you to be able to explain this because you have been involved in these sorts of um, technologies, I guess. What mm-hmm. was it when De La Cruz hit the home run and there was question about what was on the butt of his bat? And my understanding yeah. is it's like some sort of a tracking device. Take me mm-hmm. through what it was that was on his bat, what wasn't there that made it legal, and what the intention of all of it is. So it's what he had on the bottom of his bat was basically a, a, a plastic or rubber piece that goes over the knob of the bat and holds a sensor underneath the bat. Uh, they're legal to be used at the major league level, so I don't know what the question was. Um, major League Baseball has partnered with Blast Motion, who makes that sensor. Um, for him, it's just he was more comfortable with it. Uh, he did it all the way through the minors where they were collecting data. At the major level, he didn't have the sensor, but he liked, he was just used to it, whether that rubber was some sort of cushion against the knob. Uh, but uh, that's all it was. It, it was fully legal. But the 
and it's legal to have the sensor in during the game as well or just to have the device that holds the sensor? Both. Um, no one actually uses sensors at the major league level because, uh, unfortunately, the Players Association uh, disagrees with the use of it. Uh, teams using the data, they, they're scared they would use it against them in arbitration. Uh, so no one actually uses it in-game. Uh, so it, it's sad because there's a lot of stuff we could be tracking that uh, we don't. Get that one's on the players. At the injury expert on Twitter, Will Carroll uh, joins us here. Always enjoy our baseball combos with Will. Um, I want to stick with the Reds for just a second. You brought up Nick Crawl, their general manager. How much of a buyer should they be in the next couple weeks? They, they should be. I mean, there's two problems. First off, uh, is ownership going to allow them to go out there and buy? Uh, they they ha- they should have the cash. I mean, this is a billionaire ownership group. People always say, oh, the Castellinis aren't that rich. I'm like, but you've got 25 owners. You know, total them up and you're, you're as good as anybody else. Um, you know, they're profitable right now just off the TV money. Uh, you're seeing them get sellout after sellout. Winning does that. Um, so he should be able to go out. The question is, what's he going to be able to get? Uh, there's not a lot of sellers. Uh, there are people talking about Zach Grinky. Does he have anything left? I think the White Sox are going to be the ones that actually do sell. Um, and I think the best move they could make would be to swap somebody. They've got a ton of shortstops. It sure looks like that Dela Cruz kid is going to stick. Uh, they've got one at Louisville called Noel V. Marte, who they got in the Luis Castillo deal last year. They could flip him now and easily get somebody like Lucas Giolito or Brownsburg's own Lance Lynn uh, who would really, really help that team. You bring up De La Cruz and you know, Joey Votto, this is probably a couple weeks ago now, compared him to Mickey Mantle. And at first I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? Yeah. But then I'm like, you know what? I don't think Votto just says stuff just to say it. He strikes me as a guy that has an unbelievable high regard for the history of the game of baseball. And he basically was saying, you know, from a switch hitting power speed combination, that's what he sees in De La Cruz. When you yeah. hear that, do you just say hyperbole to the nth degree or what? No, no. I mean, I think the problem is there's just not many players like that. Switch hitting, 500 home run hitting, uh, stealing a ton of bases. Mantle wasn't a great stealer because of his knee injuries. But um, there's just not many people you can compare him to. Uh, so that's the one. You know, you're certainly not going to compare him to Chipper Jones. Um, so I, I think, yeah, the Mantle comparison is apt in the tools. It's a question of, does he stay healthy? Does yeah. he stay motivated? Does, you know, he's super young. He's super talented. He's still filling out. I mean, if you ever see the videos of when they signed this kid, I think he's Sammy Sosa. And you know, a kid who filled out, who they saw power in him somehow. Scouts are magicians sometimes. Uh, and I really think that Sosa comparison is the one. Hey, Will, we mentioned this yesterday, and I'm really curious your thought on it. Willie Mays is, and I'm going to make a definitive statement, which is always Mm -hmm. dangerous because you you know what I mean, but I think definitively we can say that amongst baseball people, Willie Mays is regarded as the greatest living player. Would you agree with that? Yes, Okay. or his godson, one of the two. So, well, that was what I was going to ask you is, so, and, and... you know god love him i hope it goes for another 20 years but he's 92 years old yeah when willie mays is no longer with us who inherits the title of greatest living baseball player barry bonds i mean there's if you have a question about that uh, i mean you can take just his pirates career and he would probably have it i know and that's uh, and, and i think for so many people will that's what is so and i get it i mean I'm not sitting here trying to indict the guy, he, he, but mm-hmm. I think the thing about Bonds with the PEDs that is so intriguing or fascinating is the fact that he is one guy that was still a Hall of Fame five-tool yeah. player even before any of that. Exactly. And if honestly, I think if, it, if you don't want to go with Bonds, then it's not just a living player, it's a current player. I mean, Shoei Otani is doing things that we've never Yeah, we mentioned Otani, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for, forget Babe Ruth. He's better than Babe Ruth. 
uh, at least on a season over season basis. Maybe he hasn't hit uh, 60 home runs yet, but uh, we're only at the All Star break. Uh, this guy is going to get the biggest contract in Major League Baseball history. He's doing things we've never seen. You know, night after night after night, he's doing things. And it, it, it's kind of ridiculous because there's, I forget who it was, but it's like, uh, the the tweet was you know every night uh, Trout and and Otani are doing things that haven't been done since 1911 and yet the Angels are losing six uh, two so I just hope he escapes uh, and goes someplace where he can win a championship. I was going to say he gets that biggest contract with who? <sighs> the easy answer is the Dodgers, um, but there's some interesting places. Could the Giants do it? They showed they could do a big contract. With Carlos Correa, that fell apart due to the medicals. Uh, certainly the Seattle fans made their uh, uh, feelings known, and Seattle uh, certainly could. There's some Japanese ownership there that might help. Um, any team could. That's the thing that I keep going back to is that any team could. Um, but it, I think he'll stay West Coast. I think it's the Dodgers. Uh, but uh, I hope it's intriguing. I, I hope there's a lot of teams that bid. Will, I got two last ones here. And again, Will Carroll is with us. Um, just universally, how would you say the rule changes have been viewed from Major League Baseball this year and, and fans? Yeah, I think pitch clock has been good, but we're also seeing more injuries. You know, I'm publishing a thing this morning on injury trends, and you know, oblique strains are through the roof. We have more of those this year through the All-Star break than we did the last two years combined. Uh, we're seeing more pitching arm injuries. You know, elbow injuries are slightly down. Uh, I saw ESPN quoted that Tommy John was down 20%. Well, that's because we've got a new operation that people are doing where we repair the ligament rather than replace it. Um, we're, we're getting better non-surgical options, but I'll have a lot of details. You can go to underthenife.substack.com and sign up for that. Uh, that'll be out free later today. Um, the steals, I don't know. Yes, it's exciting, but does Ellie De La Cruz steal three bases under last year's rules? Probably. Um, it hasn't made as big a difference. And the shift, the, the the shift ban hasn't made a bit of difference. It's just dumb at this stage. So um, what, what disappointed me is we're not going to the automated balls and strikes. If anybody's gone out to Victory Seals and seen either of the two systems that they use, I think they work really, really well. And I think they should be a Major League Baseball Today. Hey, okay, Will. And then, uh, sorry, go I just got one last one, and this is Max Clark related to the number three overall pick earlier this mm, week yeah. by the Detroit Tigers. Uh, have you seen him play or oh, yeah. from people that you have talked to uh, any sort of Major League Baseball comp for Max Clark? Ooh, um, yeah. I mean, he's really good. And in a lot of years, he'd have been the first overall pick. Um, I think the one I saw this weekend that I liked a lot and, you know, all you had to do was go to a Franklin game and you could see 10 major league GMs sitting there. Um, it was scouts and radar guns aplenty. Uh, such a good kid. Uh, I, I think the Tigers, uh, got a heck of a guy. I would actually compare him to Corbin Carroll, uh, the Diamondbacks all-star, uh, you know, not a huge guy. But surprising power, good speed. Uh, and Corbin Carroll's a guy who slid in the draft a couple of years ago uh, and is already in the major leagues, all-star, uh, could be an MVP candidate. So I don't think it's going to take long to see Clark. I can't wait to drive up to uh, Comerica Park, which I think is the most underrated park in Major League Baseball. Yeah, it's a good park. Uh, and see him play. I think he'll be there in three years. You know, Will, I-, I wanted to go back real quick to something else you just mentioned because I think – 95% of our listeners have heard the term Tommy John surgery yeah. and 20% probably even know what that is. So let me give you my layman terms, you know, 31 years to complete college definition of Tommy John surgery. And then you tell me if it's in the ballpark. That, by the way. Well, thanks. Um, I do appreciate that. But so Tommy John surgery is when a guy has a problem with his elbow because the ligament's worn out. So they find a ligament from either elsewhere in his body or from somebody who's donated one and they put it in his elbow. Am I close? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Okay, so it's just that I guess the other question would become if it is transferring a ligament from one's own body, where do we have, like, excess ligament? Um, There's two. Uh, The original was done with the palmaris. Um, If you put your thumb and ring finger together, you'll see it pop up um, on your wrist. 
and that that one's redundant. The other one that's used more just because it's bigger is a hamstring ligament. Uh, you, you, you take this, that off, uh, and it, it, it basically has two attachment points. So it's a little weaker, but it thickens right back up. Interesting. There you go. Well, I lied. Mark chimed in here and brought up the Shaquille Leonard situation. Uh, Jim Mercer's yeah. comments from earlier in the week, certainly not a ringing endorsement on Shaquille Leonard being fully cleared when the Colts open up camp two weeks from today. We'll see exactly where he's at for their first practice coming up in two weeks. Uh, does that surprise you at all? What are your yeah. thoughts on a guy that's had two back surgeries in the last 13 months? And yeah, it's certainly worrisome. You know, is it a back injury? Is it a leg injury? What the heck is it? And why can't they fix it? He's gone to some of the best back surgeons in the world. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things I can say about the Colts medical staff uh, and the results over the last decade, but this is one that's really worrisome because that defense changes. Uh, you could see it last year, how much they missed Leonard. Uh, he, he's such a difference maker on the field, whether it's causing fumbles or just the way he goes. Uh, sideline to sideline virtually. So having him back in any capacity would be good, but if we've lost him, I don't want him to be the next Bob Sanders, and that's what it's feeling like right now. Again, it is at the injury expert under the knife, uh, Substack. that's where you can find his latest. You said oblique trends coming out tomorrow? Uh, coming out uh, in about 10 minutes. Oh, perfect. You can check that out again, underthenife.substack.com. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. British Open next week. Kevin British Bowen Open. jumping the gun on that one. We got the Scottish Open though this week in the world of golf. And oh, that we is train spotting. Little appointment television here from a morning standpoint to go along with your Wimbledon. But yesterday in the world of golf, uh, they were in front of Congress, and that's where we're at right now with the latest in the PGA Tour. Live Golf Front, and to talk more about that, Will Haskett from PGA Tour Radio joins us. Will, I'm not going to lie, at one point last night, as the All-Star Game bored me, I flipped over to the Golf Channel, and I'm thinking, oh, there's going to be like an old British Open rerun on, I, you know, I, something that I'm going to really enjoy watching, and instead I'm literally watching, I feel like I'm watching C-SPAN, and in about a 10-minute period, I think I laughed... 80% of the time, at one point I wanted to cry, and I thought it was also eye-opening. Uh, what did you make of the congressional hearings yesterday? Really one-sided. It was just the PJ Tour having to answer to Congress in this potential deal. I don't think I got any smarter watching that yesterday. I don't think I believed any stronger in our elected officials because of yesterday's proceedings, especially a few of them that were just grossly either misinformed or on a mission or scorned or what. I mean, it was, were there a couple of juicy little takeaways? You know, were there a few things from discovery and emails that were released, both that were talked about and then were also kind of, um, I guess, leaked or discovered within various media channels yesterday that at least gave us, I don't know, a, a minute look at what was discussed and what were some of the hopeful elements of a negotiation. Yes, but at the end of the day, it was it was a bunch of, well, I, I guess, you know, it's Richard Blumenthal's kind of crusade, right? Like he's the, he was the, the senator from Connecticut who seems to be the most irate about this situation and I think was saying a lot of the same things that people are frustrated about but I think at the end of the day, it arrived back at the same place, which is this is the reality. I don't know how you change what the reality of the situation is. And then secondly, there isn't anything agreed upon like formally yet. The only thing agreed upon is to stop litigating against each other. That's it. Like, and so while there, you can say, oh, are you going to do this? Or can you promise us that you won't do this? It's like, well... They haven't signed a dotted line. Now, there are reports that they're about 90% of the way there. I don't know how yesterday helps get an agreement across the finish line because it just, I feel, just muddies the waters a little bit. Like it was just, I think it was unnecessary. And there were a couple of senators that were like, hey, look, I'm happy to come back and talk about this when you actually have an agreement in place. But, man, can we go to lunch? Because this doesn't seem like a good use of our time right now. And I think I probably agree with those guys the most. Yeah, not uh, not a good day for the state of Missouri when Senator Josh oh, Hawley now. is what an idiot. I mean, is, tr I'm truly an idiot. Like, I'm sorry if you're from Missouri and you're listening to the show right now. Like, just, and you want to get him out of office, 
just play the tape back from yesterday. Holy cow, what yeah. a moron that guy looked like. Cardinals fans having some issues with, with that. For those that missed it, Josh Holly produces what I thought was a very nice-looking poster board on the PJ Tour and their involvement with China. Unfamiliar that the PJ Tour has not played in China in four years, and he needed to have that question answered to him about nine times before. I don't know if he ever really gave up on that, but before he finally gave up on it. Okay, when you bring up Juicy, for the casual sports fan out there, there were some Juicy tidbits. Bits, what did you find that you would say maybe would move the needle a little bit? Uh, probably more so from a discovery standpoint, as you mentioned. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, there were a whole bunch of, I guess, side agreements that we don't know. I mean, that haven't been executed, or we don't know if they're going to be a part of the next sort of framework. So I think, the, I guess, the biggest one that gathered the most headlines was that the PGA Tour just sort of said, if we agree to come, if we end up with a full agreement with this one, that you, the PIF, who's in control of Live Golf, is going to axe Greg Norman. I mean, I think that was the juiciest one yesterday. And it really was more just because it was something that I guess was kind of in writing, although I don't really see, from what we knew about the potential makeup of the structure of this, I don't think anybody really thought that there was a pathway forward for Greg Norman to still be in charge of Liv, despite what he's sort of saying behind the scenes to his staff and to the people on that particular circuit. But I think that was the one that probably created the most waves because it kind of came early on in the proceedings before things just kind of got muddied by all the questions. So I guess to me that was the juiciest nugget, even though logically you just figured that was always going to be the case if these two sides agreed to play ball with one another. Yeah, well, I think my question is, and my apologies for being an overly simple or simplistic to it all, but with this merger of Liv and the PGA and you know absorption, how, whatever term you want to use, yeah. is the bigger question how it gets blended philosophically or how it gets blended from a personnel standpoint? Does that make sense, what I'm asking? Yeah. I think personnel is probably what Congress is most concerned about. Um, Richard Blumenthal, you know, kept throwing out, you know, the big words about, you know, sports are essential to our culture. And this is an iconic, you know, pillar of our society, that being the PGA Tour and professional golf. And then his sort of his view that part of this agreement, whereas the PGA Tour is sitting there saying, listen, we are still going to control our product. Like We are in, our board is in control of the PGA Tour. We are not merging, and that's true in some sense. The PGA Tour is not merging with Live. They're forming an umbrella for-profit organization that will that will oversee a lot of these other in the organizations, DP World Tour, the PGA Tour, Live Golf, and whatever um, reality it has moving forward. And But those individual entities still operate under whatever their controlling structure is right now. Now, part of that agreement, again, in principle, not yet signed on, is that you know the governor of the PIF, Alderman, would have a seat on the board. Some believe that he might be chairman of the PGA Tour, depending on which version of the draft you believe. And then it's a semantic argument at that point in time to people who are against this because it's like, well, even if they're on the board and only have a minority stake in this company, we all know like whoever has the most money is the one that's going to be making the decisions. And so I think there is a, at the end of the day, probably a personnel concern that members of Congress have, but the PGA tour just sat there all day yesterday and just doubled down over and over again. Like, listen, Jay Monahan would be the head of the new for-profit entity. So the chairman or, or sorry, the commissioner of the PGA tour would oversee this new blended for-profit organization. And the PGA tour is not losing its majority board member vote players, et cetera, on it. We're just, this is what, this is the cost of doing business in order to get the, what they also alluded to yesterday was a, investment of over a billion dollars from the PIF into this for-profit entity that's going to then trickle that money down to the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, and other golf-related investments in the sport. So, yeah, a long-winded way to say I think they're – I think it's this sort of – I think the people who are really, really up in arms about it are like, okay, sure, you can say all these things. You still have 51% ownership, but we know if the 49% person in the room is also the one that's bringing in all the money, then who's really in power here? And I think that was the the biggest contentious point of yesterday. And the other one being, like, why do you need their money? Can't you just go out and get somebody else's billion dollars, which I find to be kind of laughable. 
Will Haskett with us here from PGA Tour Radio. Will, do you think it's fair to say at this point, given the nature of how public some of these conversations have become, and yesterday certainly was an eye-opener on that, of you know dangling Tiger Woods out there for the Saudis, dangling Rory McIlroy out there for the Saudis, is it fair to say like the PGA Tour needs this more so than the Saudis need it? Um, I mean, I think if I think if the whole thing blew up right now, so like they don't get to an agreement, they don't get it across the finish line, everybody goes back to their corners and they figure things out, and the PIF has to figure out how to make live viable and not lose hundreds of millions of dollars on it every year, and the PGA Tour has to figure out how to maintain designated events or maintain purses with an unsustainable financial model moving forward that they could probably continue on down the road for a while. You get some pissed um, off membership, though. Yeah, you would have some. I mean, I think you have pissed off membership no matter what because of the lack of transparency leading to this moment in time. And, you know, people who are like, look, you told us to take to draw this line in the sand, and now you're not. I, I think there's a lot of everything kind of settles in time, right? So a wound has been opened in the beginning of June for many of the membership. And then eventually time heals all that wounds. We played a several tournaments since then. There's been, you know, everything from a day-to-day operations standpoint is status quo. You know, checks are still clearing. The purses are still high. There's been good golf. The entertainment product is thus. And so if we get to an agreement and those week-to-weeks sort of feel and look the same, maybe there would be a tweak here and there. Maybe there's a tournament in Saudi Arabia, you know, at the end of the year for particular people, you know, like, subtle little things, but you don't lose a lot of the stuff that looks normal, then I think it doesn't matter. But, but yeah, I, I think going back to this, it's like, why are both sides wanting to create this? I think long-term the PGA tour, and I thought Ron Price did a good job laying this out yesterday. The CEO of the PGA tour sort of saying is that we, this is the only time right now we can still operate from a position of power because they have influence and they have the product that sports fans still recognize as being superior, but they're being blood dry. So we can negotiate now or wait until we're literally running out of money because we can't compete with this. Well, at the same point in time, PIF is recognizing that, yes, we could bleed them dry, but we're also not a big fan of losing half a billion dollars a year on our own golf product that no one watches and no one cares about for the most part. And so I guess to answer your question, yes, the PGA Tour needs it more because they're the only ones truly in danger of of not being able to turn the lights on in however many years that takes. But I also don't think that the you know the Saudis are in business to lose tons and tons of money either, and it, it makes a lot of sense for them to try and kind of bury the hatchet and figure out how to move forward. So again, this is way too long of an answer for a pretty simple question. I guess yes, the PGA Tour needs it more, but it would have been a long time until they truly actually needed it. So, Will, let me ask you this. And feel free to tell me that to go fly a kite because it's the dumbest thing you've ever heard. Can we rule out at this point that the PGA is not simply almost the victim of the Saudi investment group's test balloon into their slow and maybe even like warning shot to other leagues of their acclimation and conversion into multiple sports properties in the United States? I think that golf is more susceptible to the influence of this money because it is so driven by individuals. So the fact that any one of your players can just up and say, like, look, I'm going to quit and go take the bag of money, which it'd be significantly harder for say the, the, the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia to start a competitive professional basketball league opposite the NBA and be able to, to pay enough star players enough money to go make a great product. You know what I'm saying? Like, if yeah, you, I, I'm telling you, aren't they I, doing I, that I, a little bit with soccer though? Sure. But like, but they're, bu- but they're buying into teams and yes, the and, and, and they're also buying some players to come over and play, which I think could be a, a long-term sort of slow, but we've seen a lot of players in their prime right now sort of rebuke the, those advances, right? Like Ronaldo's at the end of his career. Like, a lot of these guys are at the very end of their career. They're not going to get the money that they're getting somewhere, but we've seen a number of players in their late 20s and early 30s say, no, I still want to play in the league that has the most attention, that has the best competition, and I can still sort of get paid. And then on, from a other professional sports standpoint, you know, there's so many contracts right now involved with 
NBA players, NFL players. I mean, again, this is highly specific. Uh, Listen, I, I know I'm crazy, Will, but I'm telling you, the it is the 800-pound impermeable, impermeable, sure. excuse me, gorilla. But the NFL has not one but two existing alternate leagues. The NBA does not. Major League Baseball does not. With the NFL, I don't think for any stretch of the imagination the Saudis would have any interest in all of a sudden becoming an ownership group of, say, the USFL. But if they all of a sudden come to, to – maybe it's not Patrick Mahomes, but maybe it's Travis Kelsey, and they say, we'll pay $35 million to play for the Birmingham Stallions next year, and then we're going to pay Justin Jefferson you know, $42 yeah. million to play – and you get those players over there. Now you've sent the wake. You've sent right the the warning shot to the NFL to where the NFL then goes. You know what? We better let these guys' money come in here because it's never ending, and we're going to be right back to 1984 all over again. Even though they won yeah, that lawsuit, I, I think it's a bigger. I think it's a it's a much riskier financial proposition from their end, being the Saudis' end, to try and play that game to see if they could actually win it and dominate it. Whereas it's. I think it's a good business decision for them to invest in the way they've invested in Premier League soccer teams, in Formula One racing, and even in golf. And again, golf, I think, lends itself to an easier um, swaying of particular talent when it comes to that money. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think the PGA Tour was more susceptible to it than some other sports leagues in this country that are more franchise driven the franchises have as much if not more value than many of the players now we can argue that that's changed a lot in the last 15 20 years of sport where players have become their own brands and have become bigger and stronger and everything but your loyalty as a golf fan is to the, the sport and to particular players that can easily be swayed to move my loyalty to the indianapolis colts or the indiana pacers is probably a little bit stronger than if tyrese halliburton signs a deal to go play for you know some team in you know the Middle East or something like that. If that makes you know if that makes sense, so I think it's a harder place to get into. And, and we've seen. I mean, Adam Silver had to come out and comment on it a couple of days ago because they've put you know language into the collective bargaining agreement about sovereign wealth funds and what sort of ownership they can have because you know the Washington Wizards are now five percent owned by Qatar's sovereign wealth fund as part of their conglomerate that owns them, the Mystics, the Capitals, and and whatever else, other franchises that are owned by that group. Um, so, I mean, I think some of these leagues are putting in safeguards for the for the short term to try and avoid, you know, a, a takeover, I guess, of one particular team. But golf in this instance, I think, was more susceptible to it. And also keep in mind that it's a it's an elitist sport. And a lot of the moves that Saudi Arabia is making in this world, whether you call it sports washing or not, is to try and legitimize themselves as a Western, you know, or I guess ingratiate themselves without a word um you know liken themselves to western society and it's a really easy way and and governor alarmayan is like a massive golf nut like there was some funny stuff that came out yesterday about how he's trying to negotiate through all these deals a chance to become a member at augusta national which is you know just kind of funny like hey if we do this can i get an augusta membership i don't blame him out of this deal yeah i mean try it like get in the fine print there and see if you know see if they'll let him in i think that there's that there's also a lot of personal desire in this because the guy's an absolute golf junkie too. And they recognize this kind of the place to go hang out with the biggest and wealthiest and most influential people in Western society. All right. Well, last one for me. And as always, I appreciate your insight on what is a very confusing topic. Um, when we spoke probably a month, month and a half ago, when all of this first started, I think I said to you, then we are like so early in all of this. I, I, I maybe even threw yeah. out like we're on lap one or two of a of a Indy 500 200 mile race or 200 lap race, and you're like, I don't even know if we're on lap one or two. It seems like a month and a half later, we're still like on lap one or two of of all of this. When do we hit timelines? I, I thought I said saw something yesterday where maybe like the end of the year you have to have an agreement in place, or I, I don't know what the result would be from that. But like, when do we start actually putting like real feet to the fire? And boom, we have real decisions. It's not a framework agreement. We've got to sign stuff, and we get actually some clarity on what the future of professional golf could look like. I don't know if it was mentioned yesterday in it or if it was reported by another outlet, but it sound, I, th- I thought I read somewhere that they said that they think they're about 90% of the way done in terms of the lawyers going back and forth with the agreement. Now, again, I don't know if yesterday helps or hurts that, you know, if did everybody answer the questions in an, an appropriate enough way? You know, there was a lot of, 
posturing about, you know, you guys had to sign an agreement that you wouldn't disparage Saudi Arabia, which is actually pretty standard. I mean, if if I was trying to uh, acquire your show right now and we had agreed to a framework agreement, a standard clause in that would be that neither one of us are going to publicly talk bad about one another because, well, that would hurt the potential acquisition that we're having right now. So you know, that came up a lot. So I don't know if yesterday ends up hurting those negotiations and what the lawyers behind the scenes are doing to sort of hammer out, which seems to be an iteration almost every day in back and forth correspondence. Some of that was that was leaked. If we're going to take the Indy 500 analogy, I think we're probably a couple of laps away from our first round of pit stops. And by that, I mean, we should probably have a PGA Tour schedule for next year pretty soon. Liv is hammering out whether it's maybe their last full season or not, at least just sort of a way for us to see like what golf is going to look like in 2024, um, which will then give us an opportunity to sort of see, oh, okay, well, within the framework that they're probably agreeing upon, maybe they're, they're planting the seeds for what I think is going to be the shift in all of this to operations in 2025. Um, but I would guess we'll get, you know, I guess little Easter eggs of what is to come when we actually see a schedule for 2024 and how that ends up being structured. But again, long, you know, long part of the race here, the checkered flag probably doesn't fly until 2025, or at least until sometime next year when we get a 2025 schedule and we know what a combined entity looks like in terms of professional golf. Um, so yeah, so there, that would be kind of my timeline. Like we should have a schedule for both tours somewhat shortly we can react to that and then we'll probably have an agreement closer to the end of the year we'll certainly react to that but we won't see an application of it until 2025 by the way was so was josh holly my apologies for my naivete here was josh holly the senator upset about the pga's involvement with the saudis no china he didn't i don't think he even i don't even mention it was all china the poster board was all china well he he apparently how dare you 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 know interact with china which your series hasn't existed in four years right okay so he didn't i thought he was questioning also their accepting money from saudi arabia well i think it was the acceptance like a gary woodlands from kansas ha 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 from missouri sort of thing it's just like what is happening right now like i don't i don't know what was happening what's that rivalry called kansas missouri is it the border uh the border war would be border war that's missouri illinois yeah, they. I, when I, the civil war. Who is the civil war? Uh, the civil Oregon, war. Oregon, Oregon State. Oregon, right? Oregon State. Right. Oregon State. Yeah. 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 By the way, Jake Will, an extremely accomplished golfer, word on the street is he had a pretty intense match with a buddy of mine, Sean, um, last week or so, and it sounded like there was some high high drama with that. We were partners last Friday and won some money, but yeah, partners was, turned enemies, right? In a, in a, sh- a, in a short chirpy. period of time. Yeah, he was a little chirpy last week, but he was playing chirpy. well. He wanted to get a little more in my pocket. Okay. <laughs> Forgive and forget. Hey, you know, public investment fund is alive and well in all of us right now. Uh, Will, you've been terrific with us. Uh, enjoyed the 12-3 to 3 appearance yesterday. Thank you as always. Enjoy talking about no sports today.